Let's take a moment just as the as the team begin to pray quietly. Let's take a moment to prepare our hearts and to bring ourselves before the living God this morning. The Father who loved us so much to send Jesus into the world. Jesus who, because he loved us, laid down his own life to re- restore us through his death on the cross and his rising in resurrection. And the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, who comes to reveal Jesus and unite us with the Father. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome you here today. I'm going to read some verses from a psalm we've turned to uh, many times over the years in this church. And I'm going to read it for us this morning. This is from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? those who have clean hands and pure hearts, who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of their salvation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Lord, we lift up our eyes. We lift up our hearts to you this morning. We pray that anything that would close you out we lift it up we open wide and we just say Jesus King of glory Lord of lords and King of kings would you come and fill this place this morning come and fill our hearts Lord we're so sorry where we've lifted up our hearts to anything that is not of you and we ask your forgiveness and your mercy right now Lord come and wash us clean with the blood of Jesus poured out lovingly and graciously 2,000 years ago on the cross Forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of unrighteousness, and fill us with who you are. Fill us with your life afresh, we pray. And we pray as we worship you this morning, would you glorify Jesus in this place? Would you exalt the the Son of God, the Son of Man? Would you lift him up in our hearts? As we behold him this morning, may he fill us with his very resurrection life to live the life he's called us to live, pointing and glorifying him in every day. Let's do uh, a prophetic act just as we close. What that means is we're acting out a spiritual truth with our bodies speaking to our spirits and souls to align with what we're doing. Let's take any crowns off that we may willfully or unknowingly wear. The Bible talks about 
and the most glorious picture of worship, how even the most important throw their crowns down before the feet of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, before the throne of the slain Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself. So let's just take our own crowns off and lay them at his feet. Jesus, glorious one, lead your church, lead our lives, lead my life. We humble ourselves, we exalt you, be lifted up, be lifted up. And all God's people said together, Amen. Just before you sit down, we're not going to take 10 minutes over this, okay? Because the Lord is here and the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace. Okay, so you don't need too much more of it. But we're just going to exchange the peace. And what I'd love to do is just make a new friend, find someone who you don't know, and just exchange the fact that If we are in Christ, that means his shed blood on the cross has made peace with God and enabled us to become brothers and sisters. Not people with shared beliefs even, not uh, colleagues, members of a club, but brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you don't know Jesus and haven't confessed him as your Lord and Savior, please do not go home because he will radically change your life, but you will find real, true, eternal life in him forevermore. So if, if you haven't done that before, please don't go home without doing that. But let's express the peace which passes all understanding, which Jesus has brought to each and every one of us by the power of his blood. Ashington at 11, the peace of the Lord be always with you and also with you. And let us greet one another and share a sign of peace. So today's reading is from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up, as usual, for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents didn't know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travellers, they went a day's journey... Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus, we love you. And as you have been calling us back already, 
I pray that you will speak to us through this passage and that you will bring our feet back onto your path and follow in your footsteps. So Holy Spirit, come in power, speak to us, convict us, change us to be more like Jesus. Amen. Okay, so when James first gave me that passage, I also, like David last week, went, what? I've got to do that? And thought, what on earth can I bring out of this story about a boy in the temple, his parents missing? It's like Home Alone, isn't it? You know, if you watch that over Christmas, but different. Um, but anyway, as I've been thinking about it, mulling it over with the Lord, which I've been doing since the start of December, I have to say, because I was so like, what is this passage about? And um, I feel like the Lord's given me a few things to share with you this morning. I'm not going to go line by line through the passage, I'm afraid. But what I'm going to do is give a brief synopsis of the story and then I'm going to share my sense prophetically with you about what I feel the Lord is saying to us all through this passage. I hope that's okay with you all. So in essence, this is a story about a normal, committed Jewish family going to the temple to celebrate the Passover, as they always did. At the end of the eight-day festival, the boy Jesus decides to stay behind when all of his family and relatives go further ahead and go back to Nazareth. So Mary and and Joseph travel for around a day, and then they suddenly realize, where is Jesus? Where's he gone? So they're searching around his relatives, can't find him, so they decide they need to head back to Jerusalem, which is a day's journey, and then they have another day searching around until they go back to the temple and realize he's there after three days. So the interesting thing about this passage is that up until this point in Luke, Jesus' divinity, so the fact that he was God and he was from God, was always spoken about or alluded to by other characters in the story. So think about the angels appearing to Mary and declaring that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Think about the angels appearing to the shepherds and Simeon and Anna, as we've just read about, how they prophesied that this was the Son of God. But now for the first time in Luke here, we see that Jesus himself is actually alluding to the fact that he knows he's the Son of God. Because when Mary said, um, why, why did you do this to us? As any mother would, I know I've got four children, that's exactly what I would do, blame them. <laughs> I would totally do that. But when, he, when they said that to him, Jesus' answer was, why didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Now some of us might read that and think, oh, he was a bit cocky. But actually it's not, that's us reading that into it. But actually what commentators say is that he was surprised them. Why didn't they know he'd be in his father's house if he wasn't with them? And he's basically saying, I'm the son of God, he's my father, and the temple is my father's house. Now, the language of God as father was not normal for Jews in Jesus' time to use. 
And actually, we later find out when Jesus did call him his father, later on in Jesus' ministry, they all got super offended at him. And it's because Jews would use the, the word father in terms of being the creator of all things or the life giver. They wouldn't necessarily use it at that point in terms of a relational, like a child and a father relationship. So Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, is saying, he's not saying, God, my father, the creator, but he's saying, my father. I'm in my father's house. And so Luke is showing us that the boy Jesus, age 12, knew exactly who he was. He knew that he was the son of Mary and Joseph, but he was also the son of God. So this passage is basically like a bridge from the baby or the boy Jesus to Jesus' life and ministry as an adult later on. And it's interesting, in Jewish culture, the bridge from boyhood to manhood would actually happen at around the age 12. But the question is, why has Luke included this in the gospel? It's not in the other gospels. Why this one episode, age 12? What can we learn from it? But I'm going to come back to that in a bit. So as I said, I want to share really with you what I sense God saying through this passage prophetically. So as I first started to just sit with the passage and ask the Lord, what, what are you saying? What, what, am, what do you want me to bring to the church? I just, as clear as anything, just felt the Lord say that how often can we or I set off and not realize that I've moved apart from God's will and the presence of Jesus? How often can we, like Mary and Joseph, who set off on their journey and went a whole 24 hours before they realized he wasn't there? How much do we do that in our own life? How much do I you know, just go on ahead of Jesus and yet he's somewhere completely different and I haven't even realized it? Do we even think about Jesus in our everyday? Do we think about Jesus and inquire of him when we are making decisions in our lives, when we're, when we're trying to work out what to do or how to live? Do we even ask him where he is, where he's going, where he's traveling? And obviously, I mean, in our times, Jesus isn't a person, but he's with us in his spirit and his presence. And I think the question is, do I make my decisions expecting Jesus to follow and bless me? Or do I do it the other way around? And it really challenged me and just made me think, can I say 100% of the time in my life that I actually pause and reflect, where, where is he? Where is he going? What's on his heart? Where does he want me to go? Do I even do that in my role in church? But I want to. And actually, I want to be the kind of person that is eyes fixed on Jesus and so sensitive to his voice and following his heart that whatever he tells me to do, I've just got to simply surrender. That's my heart, and I know that's your heart too. And I think even not just inquiring Jesus in the big things, inquiring of Jesus in the big things and asking him, 
but how much attention do I pay to him in my everyday life? Like when I wake up in the morning, is he my first thought? During the day, do I pause just asking Jesus, you know, I love you, I love your, your presence. Where are you? What are you doing? Who do you want me to talk to? And is he my final thought at the end of the day? And isn't this the challenge right now at the heart of so many issues? Do we expect God to bless our plans? Or should we be dying to ourselves to fit into his plans? And thereby actually experience the truest blessing anyway. Instead of setting off and expecting Jesus to be with me, how much more should I be waiting on him and discerning where he's going and when to move? I think some of the keys to the life of the boy Jesus will help us to build our life following him and his ways rather than us expecting Jesus to follow ours. And there's four characteristics that we see in Jesus as a 12-year-old. Teachability, humility, obedience, and wisdom. We read at the start of the passage that Jesus stayed behind at the temple. He wasn't lost. They didn't leave him there by accident. He chose to say to stay. So why did he do that? Well, I think it's because he had a genuine desire to learn. He was sat among the teachers for three days. I mean, I'm not thinking, did he sleep? Did he eat? For three days, he was simply at, in the temple, at the feet of the teachers, learning, talking together about the scriptures, asking questions. And remember at this point that we need to, oh, in Philippians 2, uh, it shows us that Jesus emptied himself of God-like characteristics when he became flesh. So it's important to remember at this point that Jesus had emptied himself of omniscience, a God-like character, and omniscience means the power of knowing everything at all times. So basically, when they are astounded by his understanding, it's not because he was God at that point, but actually it was because he had dedicated his life up to that point, searching the scriptures, you know, praying, learning about his faith, that he was teachable. He knew he was the son of God, and yet he was willing to sit and learn from the teachers in the temple and ask them questions. This also shows humility because he was willing to learn from others and ask questions to gain insight and wisdom and understanding from other people. He was teachable from the scriptures, but also teachable from the teachers of the scriptures. In verse 51, Luke tells us that at the end of this story, he went down with his parents to Nazareth. And Luke made a point of saying that he was obedient to them. He honored his father and mother as well as his heavenly father. There wasn't a conflict there. He obeyed both. 
but he was also raised in a family by parents who were obedient to scripture and the laws. And so he was raised in an atmosphere of submission and obedience. I think that's a challenge right there to all of us, whether we're parents or grandparents, or even just how we model our life. Are we modeling submission to Jesus? Are we modeling surrendering to his word and to his plans? Should we encourage each other to be more like that and raise our children like that? In verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom, in years and in divine and human favor. And I think this was due to his teachability, his humility, and his obedience. It all made him wise. I'm really interested how Jesus, as the Son of God, submitted himself to others, to learning, to growing in wisdom and the scriptures. And I think if it was good enough for him, good enough for the Son of God, how much more should we be doing that in our own life? And it really made me think, am I teachable? Do I have a heart that is soft to learn from others? Am I obedient to Scripture and the advice and wisdom given in Scripture? Am I growing in wisdom? And it seems to me that many of these traits are fairly countercultural in the 21st, Western, 21st century Western society, where we are shaped and groomed by our culture to really concentrate on ourselves, where it's all about self-fulfillment, personal gratification, where it's about anything goes, you can break the rules, and this is completely in contrast to how Jesus lived, where he was humble and obedient and submissive to God. Aren't those words even kind of, uh, in today's day and age, submissive and obedient? They're seen as not great things, and yet Jesus models that to us. And I'm really sorry to say that culture has infiltrated the church too. Back in October or November last year, when the talk of the cost of living crisis was really ramping up, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, we have a cost of living crisis in the church. The cost of living crisis in the nation today is that life has become more expensive. It's costly to live, to buy the everyday products. But the cost of living crisis in the church is that we've forgotten the cost that Jesus paid for us to live. And we've forgotten that living the life he has called us to do actually costs us too. We've forgotten how to sacrifice and we've been seduced by the idol of comfort and self-absorption. We've forgotten that it may cost us dearly to stand apart from the ways of the world and to stand up for the ways of Jesus. Look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Daniel. They knew the cost of following God in Babylon, and they wouldn't stray from his word, no matter what the cost, or no matter how intimidating the world around them was. 
And one of the choices we have to make right now is are we going to stay on the narrow road of holding scripture to be true and relevant and submit our lives to it? Or are we going to be culturally relevant and leave the scriptures behind in order for us to move on and follow the world? This is a crisis for the church right now. And I don't know about you, but I know I need to stand up, and I know I need to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How Jesus lived as a 12-year-old was costly, as he submitted himself to learning and obeying the scriptures. Jesus as a man walked out the cost of living submitted to God and the scripture. He was scorned. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He poured out his life for others. And ultimately, the cost for him of a life laid down was death. I felt the Lord say that in the church there is a crisis because very few of us are willing to count the cost of living for Jesus and everything that entails and follow him no matter what the cost is to us. Do we as individuals and the church live our lives knowing the cost and surrendering to the cost of following in Jesus' footsteps? Even forgiving one another is costly as we absorb the pain that others have inflicted on us and we let them go free. That's costly. It's costly to love one another. It's costly to be generous. It's costly to be kind. It's costly when we're really tired, but instead of shoving on Netflix, we actually wait and decide to follow the Lord and read his word or pray or worship. It costs us because our bodies don't want to. It costs us when we fast or when we get up early in the morning. It's costly. And it must have been costly for Jesus having Judas living amongst him, or when he knew Peter was going to betray him. But I really believe that some of the reason he was able to do all of that was because he was so surrendered to his father. And he was so submitted to the word of God, and that he'd spent all of his life growing and nurturing his faith gaining wisdom and insight from the scriptures and the teachers around him and nurturing his relationship with his father. And I know that this is the anchor or the the very bedrock from everything else was able to flow. And that is why I love that Luke includes this in in the gospel. I love that for Luke, he didn't just talk about him as a baby and then he was a man preaching and doing crazy miracles and doing amazing things. Luke wrote this passage because he wanted to give us insight into how Jesus lived his life before he started his ministry, which, as I've said, was head in the scriptures, just learning from others, being submissive and obedient to God his Father. And it also shows us his character, which is humble and obedient. And I know that that then was the launch pad for everything else to come. 
And if this is how Jesus spent his life as a disciple, training himself, then come on, let's do the same. If we long to be effective for God's kingdom, which I know we all want to do, whether it's speaking the truth, whether it's standing up for truth, whether it's loving people, walking in forgiveness, healing people, doing miracles, whatever it is, then I encourage us all that we all also need to walk the narrow road of discipleship, the one that Jesus took. The narrow road of being teachable, humble, learning, and making sure that we're following him and his spirit and his leading and that we're not wandering off on a journey without him. It may not be as bright and shiny to talk about humility and obedience and submission. It's much more sexy to talk about miracles and healing. But actually, I really believe it's the humility and teachability and surrender that are the very foundations on which healing and miracles are built and sustained. Nowadays, we expect instant rewards. We rarely accept challenges that will take hard work or dedication or commitment or where we have to obey or we have to be humble. And yet this passage tells us that to be a disciple and to follow in Jesus' footsteps takes hard work, dedication, surrender, and learning, learning God's ways. I believe we're living in times where we have a very serious decision to make. We are in a valley of decision. Are we going to follow his ways or are we going to follow our ways? Will we stand up for the truth and wisdom revealed in scripture or will we say it's outdated? Do we even know what the Bible teaches? Do we read the Bible? Do we pray? Will we bow down to the pressure to conform to the world's narrative? Or will we, we submit our lives under the narrative of the kingdom of God? Will we enthrone Jesus in our life at the cost of dethroning what is not of God? Jesus is the pearl of great price. He is redeemer. He's savior. He's everything. He brings us into a relationship with our Father. He's perfect love. He's perfect peace. He is hope. And knowing Jesus brings the greatest joy. And I believe the secret to living lives fully for Jesus and knowing him dearly is as the boy Jesus shows us in this passage, even at age 12, that it's through teachability, it's through humility, through obedience to him and his wisdom. And may we follow in his footsteps and be willing to count the cost. Slightly nervous clap there, wasn't it? <laughs>
I'm just going to take a, mo- a few moments in silence just to ask the Holy Spirit to apply this to all of our hearts before we seek to attend to what, what he wants us to do to respond. Holy Spirit, the one who guides us into all truth, come and continue to speak to each one of us. Drive your word into our hearts, we pray. Amen. Let's take a few moments in silence.